0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. right, team, Ah, I feel this great sense of relief right at this moment. Had one of, ever had one of those weekends where you drop your phone in the toilet? Yeah, <laughs> that's the kind of weekend I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm on right now. That just says it all, right? Oh Lord. Okay. Well, uh, how appropriate on the day we start a series on technology, TechWise tech wise parent. All right. Let me. Uh, I'll pray for us, and we'll get started. And y'all, y'all pray for me a lot as I get ready here. All right, God. Thanks for uh, thanks for loving us. Thanks for dying for our sins and um, Lord, uh during this time I pray that you would speak. Uh pray, Lord, you give me your Holy Spirit and that you would be the voice here, and not me. And um Father, this can be a kind of a scary topic and just uh pray for your comfort and ask your prayers in Jesus name, amen. Okay. All right, so um so this is we we're starting a new series today, uh, with Faith and Family, uh called Techwise Parent. I think that's what it's called, right? In the title of it? Yeah, okay, good. This is a three week series. Um that my my class today is going to be kind of laying some of the like conceptual groundwork uh, of like playing offense versus defense when it comes to technology and kids. Uh, how many people here um, the idea of like your child and technology, computers, phones? How many of you would say, in terms of your anxieties that you have with your children, either presently or for the future, it's in the top three? How many people would say it's in the top like one? <laughs> There's a uh, there's a, um, a well known uh, critic Ross. D- do you pronounce his name Drouhate? D-R-O-U-H-A-T writes for the New York Times, conservative uh, conservative critic, conservative critic, and um, Colin Hansen, um, who is the editor in chief of the Gospel Coalition, but who lives here in Birmingham. Um, we were with him this week, and he was talking about a conversation he had with Ross D. We'll call him Ross D. And he said, you know, they, 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 so anyhow. Uh, Colin and Ross had done this, you know, very intense, um, this very intense interview where they were talking about the political landscape and the religious landscape and all kinds of things. And so at the end, Colin said, um, you know, Ross, you know, we're both parents with small children. Like, is this, are these, these, you know, matters of international um, geopolitical, cultural, philosophical uh, significance, or do these things keep you up at night as it relates to your child? And Ross, his response was, "No, uh, what keeps my what keeps me up at night is my child's smartphone." Uh, so that just gives you a sense of like how, how scary it is. you know this is the first generation of parents to ever really have to deal with technology. There's not really a pave that's been path, uh, a pave that's been path, a path that's been paved. Um, so with that being said, you know uh, it's 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 even more scary for that reason. So uh, so with this class, we're going to talk about playing offense versus playing defense. The next class is going to be very, very practical. Uh, it literally is going to be Martin Clapp, who is a, um, who is you know a technology person for a living, and he is actually going to like show you on a phone how to like restrict your child's access to certain things. Um, uh, so that this that, normally we have like very kind of theological-driven, biblical type classes. This is not going to be that class uh, next week. This class will be that next week won't, and then. Two weeks from now, the third class. Um, there's a book called The Tech Wise Parent by Andy Crouch, uh, which is a really, really good book. And I don't know about you, but like I just really don't have that many, have that much time to write to read many books. I don't have much time to write many books either. Um, but to to read many books. And so, you know, everybody loved Cliff Notes, you know, back in high school, right? So we um, have enlisted Miller Gervin. Um, who went to Princeton? So she's plenty smart, right? Uh, we even listen to her to read the book for us and uh, to give a book report. <laughs> she's going to be Cliff Notes, yeah. I was, just, you know, I mean, maybe, or maybe I was like, uh, you know, oh, gosh, I really need to read that book, but I don't have time right now, and so maybe I'll just have Miller do it for me and, and tell me this deal. So that's actually what she's going to do. She's actually going to give a summary. Uh, this is this is kind of the most recommended book when it comes to dealing with technology for parents. It's not, I mean, it's not one of those things where it's like the laws, like you need to do every single thing that he says. Um, but it's, but apparently it's, it's really good as far as some guiding concepts. It's, it's kind of theologically driven, but it's also very practical. And, um, anyhow, so she's going to give like a, a, a synopsis of it and she's going to actually provide a book report of like, you know, things that she found helpful. So anyhow, uh, come, come for that two weeks from now. All right. So today I'm going to talk about playing offense versus defense. Uh, and, and so let me start by saying this, and I know some people don't like sports analogies. So if you're one of those people, I don't, sorry. Just preemptive, sorry. Uh, but so I grew up. Um, I, I, I'm an Alabama fan, and I grew up in the era of like Gene Stallings. And so if you don't know anything about sports, you didn't grow up here. Gene Stallings was this coach uh, back in the from 1990 to '96, and his philosophy was basically: you play great defense, you don't make any mistakes on offense, and you'll win. Like there was no attempt to score a lot of points. It was like minimize risk. That was basically his approach on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, on the offensive side of the ball, and uh, you know we'll win it in the end. And he won a lot of games. Like he won 10 games a year, won a national title, won the SEC West I think three or four times. And uh, so he was really successful with that philosophy. Uh, well, as the like football has changed, and there's been a lot of rules changes about what defensive backs can do with receivers and how far downfield offensive linemen can go and um, all kinds of things like that. It's now, it's now, you can't do that anymore. Like, if you're, if you were just gonna try to, you know, uh, minimize mistakes on offense, play very conservatively, and then play really good defense, you're gonna lose. You have to have both offense and defense. And so I use that analogy because that's kind of how things are when it talks, when we're talking about our kids and technology. You know, if there's, wouldn't it be great? We would all love to be able to, like, disconnect the internet or hide our children from everything. Uh, but that's just not going to work. You can't just play defense, <laughs> um, for a couple of reasons. One, um, one, you're going to, um, uh, your, your child's going to grow up. They're actually going to become adult, an adult one day. They're going to go to college or go to the working world. And then like, you know, they're going to have access to whatever they want. And so, um, so if all we do is play defense, uh, then, and just like try to prevent them from seeing anything, we're not really preparing them for the world, uh, and on top of that, like you, no matter how good you are, like your kid is going to be exposed to stuff. <laughs> the, the media is too pervasive and, and, and too ubiquitous to not for your child not to be exposed to things. So so you got to play offense and defense, okay? And so I'm going to talk. Uh, I'm going to set the stage a little bit with this opening premise about um, what is the what is kind of the bigger conversation as far as what are we trying to protect our kids from? Then I'm going to talk about defense a little bit, and then I'm going to spend most of my time talking about offense today. Uh, defense being defined as like protecting your kid uh, from from exposure to certain things. Offense being teaching your child how to engage what they hear in the world. Um, so starting off, um, uh, kind of point, point number one, we're going to be talking about the battlefield of the mind. Uh, and so, you know, is anyone here familiar with the TV preacher, Joyce Meyer? Yeah, Joyce. You know, some people, there are some people who don't like Joyce. Joyce, Joyce has maybe some, some tendencies here and there that might be a touch radical. Um, but by and large, I I think Joyce has some really good things to say. She does have this really, really good concept from a book that she wrote called The Battlefield of the Mind. And what she's saying is there are competing messages within your mind. We all kind of know this, right? We all kind of know there's that voice, there's that critic inside us that's saying, you know, uh, saying all kinds of very, very scary things. Saying all kinds of things about our inadequacies, um, saying all kinds of things to, like, self-justify us, you know, like... Oh yeah, you know, your wife, she just doesn't appreciate how great you are. And if she only knew how great you are, you know, then your marriage would be okay. You know, that that there's that voice, right? And then there's that's the that's the false voice. And then there's, the, <laughs> then there's the then there's the true voice that's like, "Hey, um yeah, you're pretty self-absorbed. Um you're not very helpful. You're on another planet 75% of the time, and like maybe the reason your wife is upset with you is because you're a real pain in the something." Um, you know, like you, you know, maybe maybe you're the problem. Um and so so we all know there's these competing voices, right? And so the same thing is true just on a bigger level as far as like the messages that your child is receiving on a daily basis. Um, there are voices that uh, are not good. There are voices that are dark, um, that are lies that are not true, and there are voices that are true and good. And so um, you know in 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 Romans 12:1, uh, um, you know Paul in Romans he spends the first 11 chapters basically talking about the gospel. Um, and then Romans 12 is this turn to, like, to the practical part of the Christian life. And it starts off with this, this statement that says, Um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living, sac- as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. So, he first says, you know, basically, in response to the gospel, I implore you to submit your life to Christ. Give your life over to Christ. And then he says, do not be conformed to the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So he's saying, like, your mind in the natural, your mind in the flesh, your heart in the flesh, uh, it needs to be transformed. It needs to be changed. Because because of our sin nature, what we naturally believe is not true. Um, what we naturally believe is, like, I can handle life on my own. Um, I, uh, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm good. And, and I'm better than most people, that's for sure. And, um, you know, and, and like, I can make my, I can make my own decisions. Like, I, I'm, you know, I can kind of, I can determine what's right and wrong on my own. These are, these are things we naturally believe. And so Paul is saying, like, no, 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 you need to be, you need to be transformed. Like, you're, what you naturally believe, what you naturally think is actually, um, you know, leads to, um, leads to your own self destruction. And so, um, and so Paul then in, in, uh, well, Jesus says in Matthew 15, he says, Uh, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Uh, And so basically, you know, when we think about our own kids, um, how they live, the choices they make, the kind of people they become, it's going to flow out of what they believe in their heart. And so there is is a battle going on for your child's heart. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of god so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our ba- for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the ruler against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly world there are, therefore put on the full armor of god so when the day of evil comes you can take your stand and after you've done everything remain standing so he's saying like there is a there's a battle being waged in the spiritual realm uh, it's funny uh, I mean I don't know maybe it's not funny, but there is, I would say in modern times, there is kind of a little bit of a poo-pooing on the idea of like there's a devil and they're like demons and there's like a spiritual realm of evil and like there's a really really interesting uh, interview with uh, late uh, Justice Scalia and a, a writer from the New York Times and uh, she's kind of like in a condescending way interviewing him about some of his like religious beliefs and, uh, and he, he, uses, he talks about the devil, he talks about Satan. And she's like, Do You actually believe in Satan? And she's like kind of like laughing at him like, you backwoods idiots. You know, like how stupid like you really believe in that kind of mythology? Um and so uh and so he's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus believed in the devil. Uh the Pope believes in the devil. And he's like going through all these things. And so uh so anyhow, all this to say we have to keep in mind that we live in a Post-Enlightenment Western world. I don't want you to, by the way, if you don't believe in the devil, I don't want you to, I, I'm not, I, I don't want you to feel like I'm making fun of you right here or I'm like speaking to you condescendingly. I do want to say you want to be aware of the philosophical, the historic philosophical situation in which we live. Like we live post-Enlightenment where in the Enlightenment, the idea in the West is that anything that we can't prove under a microscope does not exist. Like basically the, the, the de facto worldview of the West is um is naturalism or de facto atheism uh and so the idea of like you know that there are angels that there are demons that there's a devil so on and so forth that is that's very much you know kind of looked down on and seen as like unscientific and and old school if you're in any other context in the world outside of the west if you're in africa if you're in latin america it's in asia uh, no one has problems with this. No one has problems with the, the, the stories in the Bible of Jesus uh, healing, like casting out demons, and you know, w- waging war with the spiritual realm. Uh, this is very much something that's unique to this time in history, uh, post enlightenment. And so that's all to say that, like, I really do believe, and the Bible, like, unequivocally says that there is definitely a spiritual realm, and that there is good and there's bad in that spiritual realm and they're, they're waging war i mean paul says here our battle is not against flesh and blood it's against the rulers authorities and powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil um so anyhow so with all that being said um i think part of why oh and and and, and like and so sorry this is kind of scary it's kind of dark but it's reality that like there is a spiritual force there is a spiritual realm of darkness and evil That is like looking to influence your child, and I'm not saying people who don't disagree with us are 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 following are are devil worshippers or they're evil. I'm just saying in the in the spiritual realm that is going on, Um, and so consequently, like and and that spiritual realm of evil is not does not have your child's best interest in mind. Jesus says in John 10:10, the thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy. Um, Satan delights in our um, in our destruction, our emptiness, and so consequently. yeah, this stuff is important. Like, this stuff is important. We don't need to freak out because Jesus says, you know, greater is he that is in us, being Jesus, than he that is in the world. So Christ has defeated sin and death. But it is something to be aware of. And it is something, especially in our historic, cultural, philosophical context, that we need to be aware of that we tend to downplay naturally. So um, with all that being said, uh, uh, so the basic point there is um, there is a battle for your your child's heart and mind. Um, and one side does not, does not like your child very much at all, Like wants to see your child's self-destruction. Um, so, with that being said, um, I'm just going to talk about defense for just a little bit. Defense means, like, how is it that we... Um, look at my cute little baby. Hello, Knox. Um, uh, so, when we're talking about defense, we're talking about how is it we kind of protect kid, kids from certain content, from certain messages, from certain influences. Um, boy, you really are cute right now, aren't you? Hey, buddy. We're talking about you, pal. No. Um, so, no. So, you know, and, and like, there really is, uh, it's so funny. Before I had children, I used to judge people who homeschooled. Um, and then I had children, and I was like, oh, yeah, I kind to get this. <laughs> um, or people who kind of had this, like, retreat from the world mentality of, like, let's just go set up shop by a farm, um, you know, deep in Chilton County, and, um, we're not going to have the internet, and you know we're just going to bunker down and hide. You know, uh, I don't I don't think that's a very effective strategy, uh, but I totally get it from a standpoint of all this stuff is really scary. And um, Jesus says in the in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five, he says, um, uh, da, 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 he says, you've heard it heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So now Jesus is Jesus is speaking with hyper- hyperbole here, like he's speaking uh, with exaggeration for the for the sake of effect. He's not saying that like. Wow, there's so many racy commercials on TV, Let's all gouge out our eyes. He's not saying that. But he is just trying to get the point across that, yeah, like sin is serious. Sin is does it does have very harmful effects um, on our lives and on the lives of others. And so uh, protecting ourselves from susceptibility to sin is something we should do, right? Um, so like if you're a person who is very enticed by pornography, Probably not a good idea to have, or let's say your your child. Let's say your child has demonstrated a propensity to look at lots of pornography. Probably not a good idea for them to have Safari on their phone, um, and or for your child to have unfettered access to the internet in private at home. Like, let's not let them go up to their room for four hours with the iPad, without a filter, or without that kind of stuff. You know that. And so the question is, like, do we cut our child's arm off? Do we gouge their eyes out? Like, how how far do we go in terms of defending them? And so, um, you know, it's a hard thing, and it's a hard thing for a few reasons uh, in terms of like protecting your kids. Number one, uh, you're I mean, if you're gonna put limitations on your child's access to technology, you're gonna wage war. Like, you, you get ready for a knife fight, you know? Because uh, I'm sure I'm, you know, no need to share stories, but I'm sure uh, any of the parents of like teenagers or middle school you know like middle school age kids. Um, or just even an elementary school kid, and you're like, hey, you're, we're not getting you a, an iPhone yet. Or, hey, like, sorry, you don't have access to Netflix. Whatever it is, if you have put a boundary on your child, then your child has, has done everything short of pulling an AK-47 out, you know? <laughs> I, I, mean, I am, <laughs> I know of one child who the parents did that, and the child literally did not talk to the parents for three weeks. Like, would not talk to the parents. Just like, lights are on, no one's home, we're not, you know. You know, I'm a ghost in your house. Uh, Yeah, and so, you know, it's not fun. I mean, I'm in, uh, you know, I'm in toddler phase, and it's like everything is a battle. Uh, You know, as far as like, let's put on your seatbelt, let daddy do this for you. Every single thing is resist, resist, resist. I probably shouldn't mention, uh, well, you could say the typical toddler, um, you know, their mantra is resistance, Right. Um, my joke is that my, my almost three-year-old is, is the, uh, the head of the Democratic National Committee right now because <laughs> resistance is his, is his, 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 his uh, motto for life. Uh, but it, you know, it gets even more intense in different ways um, with a teenager because you know, they can fight back with a little more force than just a tantrum. You know? And so the first thing is really hard. Second thing is it's really hard for parents to accept that their child is growing up. Like, I, I love this image of my, two, my almost five-year-old daughter as a two-year-old. She's a sweet little baby and she's got her little curls and she's, you know, singing Jesus Love Me with her broken grammar, you know, on my, on the little video on my phone. And I just love that. And the idea that, you know, seven years from now, she'll be in middle school, like that is, that like breaks my heart. You know, that, like terrifies me. And so I've had conversations with parents where, They'll say, you know, like, God, oh, my son, he's like always on his computer. He's always in his room, and when I go into his room, he like immediately shuts it down. And I'm like, you know, your child is most likely looking at pornography or looking at something they're not supposed to be looking at. That's probably why they're hiding That's probably why they shut it down. And the parents like, no, he's not. No, he's not really into that yet. I'm like he's 14, he's 15, like, he's 14, you know, like, the passy is out, um, and so, so I, I say that sympathetically, um, I say that sympathetically because it's, like, very hard to think about, you know, our babies being older kids, you know, that's just, that's not something we want to accept, um, so it's hard to kind of, it's hard to play defense. Uh, the second thing, too, is we, we also, too, tend to underestimate our kids' sin, like, I used to say about my daughter, you know, I, I know that theologically that everyone has been affected by that, by you know, by the fall. Uh, you know, everyone is naturally sinful, but not her, right? Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really want to believe that my daughter's a sinner. I don't want to believe that that guy right there, like, you're a sinner, pal. That's right. Um, but it's, but it's true, you know. And and, um, and my children are no less sinful than I am or I was at any phase of my life. And like, I know what I was like as a teenager. I know what was very, very tempting and interesting to me, and I know the things that I did. And, like, my kids are going to be no less prone to those things than I was. And so, those things are always, those things are all very hard as far as, like, putting up boundaries and protecting our kids. Uh, But thinking about this battle and thinking about the person who's on the other side, the author of this battle, Satan, Um, he is like, he really wants to destroy your child. And so, Consequently, like playing some reasonable defense is something we just need to do. It's worth it's worth a fight with your kid. Uh, it's worth the awkwardness. It's worth the standout. I always say like we're not playing for our kids to like us now. We're playing for our kids to respect us when they're 35, 45, 55. You know, there were a lot of things that my parents did, or that my especially my dad like certain certain like rigid rules that he would not bend on. And like I did not like it then, and I would be all surly and, and be a pain. Uh, and you know, actually, like one of the like one of those was the grass is cut every week before the sun goes down. And if it wasn't cut, I had a flashlight out on Sunday night. That was a rule. Another rule was like we go to church on Sunday morning, and I was and I would like be the biggest pain in the butt. I would. Uh, I would intentionally act like I was sleeping on the front row just to embarrass my parents. I really did that. That's your youth ministry, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, I did. I would intentionally like, oh, I forgot my socks back in the house to like, you know, make them late. Do all that kind of stuff just to be a pain, right? So I didn't like it then. But like now as a 38-year-old with parents, I'm like, I really respect a lot of the things that my dad like was super original and didn't bend on. Um, and so that's kind of what we want we're not we don't want to be popular with our kids that's another hard thing we really want our kids to like us right but again we're we're thinking long game we're thinking love like we're thinking love which is I don't care if you like me now I want you to to to, um, reap the benefits of like you know a godly life later so anyhow so that's um, so that's all I'm going to say about defense is we need to do it it's hard and we ask for God's grace, and we try our hardest. Okay, so defense covered. All right, now, talking about offense, this is where I want to spend more time today. Um, y'all, I'm sorry, since my cell phone fell in my toilet, what time is it? 10.30. Uh, oh, 10.33? Okay, let's get to work. Okay, so I want to I talk about two um Two concepts. Um, uh, uh, you be my time guy. When it's like 10:40, 1040, 10:45, let me know. Great, thanks. Okay. So concept uh, I, I, term number one: cultural exegesis, and uh, concept number two: cultural catechism. Cultural catechism. Uh, anybody here have those CDs? The Ask Me Who CDs? If you have small children, where or you know anybody here familiar with you know this idea of, like catechism? Like catechism is this. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Caroline loves it. Um, catechism is where it's this way of teaching children like, biblical truth by, you know, asking them questions and they respond. And so, like, the children's catechism is, like, 150 questions. And so, like, we were actually listening to the CDs in the car this morning. So, I can, like, around the house sometimes, I'll ask my daughter. I was, like, uh, Mary Matthews, like, who made you? God. Um, you know, what else did God make? God made all things. Why did he make it for his glory? So, anyhow, so you're going back and forth. And so, you know, it's, a Socra- it's based on a Socratic style of learning. A Socratic style of learning Tends to be the most effective where you're, rather than just giving someone information, you're engaging a person in, um, in, uh, in the learning. You're asking them questions, they respond, and and they tend to like own it and learn it better. So, you know, we talk about catechism in a religious sense of like a way that we teach kids God's truth. Well, there's also kind of there's (laughs) like a cultural catechism going on. Like the world is trying to catechize your child as well. It's very interesting that you see in the garden when Satan is tempting Adam and Eve. Does he? What does he start out with? He asks questions, right? When Jesus is being tempted um, for forty days in the desert, what is uh, what is Satan Satan doing there? He asks, he asks him questions, right? And so there's kind of this question and response, right? So it's very subtle. Um, the way that the culture catechizes our children is, is subtle. Um, it's kind of under the surface and it's implicit. And so um, and so at the same time, so that's kind of like cultural. Uh, that, um, Cultural catechism, and so one thing I would say is that we can use the culture as like our best, um, our best friend and our best tool to teaching our kids God's truth. Because a lot of the things we want to teach our kids, you know, it's just really awkward just out of nowhere to be like, so Johnny, let's talk about sex, or you know, so so and so, let's talk about uh, moral relativism. You know, it's just not there. Just aren't really. You can't just. It's, it's difficult to fabricate those conversations. You know, that's why in Deuteronomy, when, uh, God is talking about, um, when God is talking about teaching our kids God's law, it's very organic. He says in Deuteronomy 6, um, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And so you see that like when he talks about when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're at home, basically like teaching kids God's truth is something that's organic. Uh, it's something that happens along the way. There's a really good youth ministry book uh, called As You Go. And it, it's pulled out of Deuteronomy, basically that you teach your kids God's truth, As you go, and so um, and so, it's an organic thing. Uh, And so, with that being said, like you can, uh, as as like you're watching movies together, as your child is listening to songs together, as certain things are happening uh, on the news or happening in sports, uh, you know, these are like killer opportunities for us to um, to play offense, uh, to teach children how to engage the culture. And in Proverbs, a lot of people are probably familiar with Proverbs 22:6. Um, you know, train up your child in the way he should go, and he, you know, and he shall not depart. Um, by the way, that's a, pr- that's a principle, that's not a promise. That doesn't mean if you like raise your kid to be a Christian, they're going to be a Christian. Just saying, like, usually, if you kind of raise your child up in that way, that's usually how it goes, but not always. Okay. Proverbs speaks in principles. But basically, what he's saying there is train up a child, and this, this anticipation that the child is going to be on their own one day. The child is going to be on their own one day, and so, um, you know, instead of speaking to the future, train them now, and so in the future they shall not depart. And so there's this sense of, like, okay, uh, when our kid goes to a college uh, classroom, if that's their path, or when our kid is watching a movie with friends and we're not around, or whatever it may be, like, we are training our child how to think, like, how to engage uh, the culture. And so I can remember when I first started working here, as an incredible woman is a role model of mine, Carolyn Lankford, and I can remember her talking about her parents when uh, commercials were on TV. Her parents taught her to always talk back to the commercials. You know, like, if you buy this product, da-da-da-da-da, really? Tell me more, you know, like, is that true or da-da-da? She taught, you know, her parents taught her to always talk back to the TV when commercials came on. This was like an incredible example of like cultural catechism um, in the sense of like she's responding. And so basically she was being trained. Um, to think critically, to not just accept everything that came her way and just accept it as true, and so consequently uh, she was prepared um, she was prepared for this kind of battle in her mind and her heart battle in the world, like when she went out into the world um, and so um, and so that 's one thing so in terms so with that being said, cultural catechism is teaching our kids to engage te- teaching our kids like don't accept everything you hear at face value. That's not just like a Christian thing, that's just like a don't be a dummy thing, you know? As far as like when you're when you're listening to presidential debates or thinking about how you're going to how you're going to vote, you know, like you know, think about what are the claims they're making? Think about is it realistic that that politician can do that? Like are do they really have that kind of capability? Or thinking about, you know, when when you get those sucker deals in the mail or those sucker emails where it's like, you know, You've just won ten thousand dollars. Just send us your social security number, so on and so forth. You know, it's like teaching your child to have a healthy suspicion and to think critically. Okay, so, so that being said, like cultural, um, that that cultural catechism is organic. We're training our kids to engage the culture. A second thing we see, especially from Deuteronomy six, that cultural catechism is also relational. You notice it, it says in this text, it says like as you go, that's a plural, like as you're at home, as you're. Um, on the way, like it's something that happens in the context of a relationship. So, like when you're watching TV with your kids, or when you're listening to song, great, thanks so much. When you're listening to song, so on and so forth, like you're you're in the context of a relationship. You're 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 using this stuff as fodder for conversation. And we also see that like we're training them to counter these things with God's word and God's truth. Like that's what's going on in this conversation here. Is he's teaching them how to train them the law. And so consequently. That puts a little bit of the onus on us to like be good students of God's word, to be good students of God's truth, um, because we have the material. The more and more we know um, the Bible, more and more we know God's truth, the more uh, effective we're going to be able to like teach our kids how to respond or help our kids evaluate truth, just like on the fly. Um, because you just kind of know it—that God's law or God's word, God's truth—is in your heart and it's on your mind. So, so anyhow. So, with that being said, uh, I want to uh, engage in a little uh, cultural catechism, but also cultural exegesis. Anybody familiar with that term, exegesis? It's Very much like a, that's a Bible term as far as like how we analyze the Scripture and interpret it. There's this guy named Walt Mueller. He has got a tremendous website that I commend, commend to you. It's his, his, he's a, he's a like Bible. Based gospel believing incredible Christian man um, who has the fourth most read youth ministry blog in the world, but it's called has a terrible name. It's like the Center for Parent and Child Understanding, Uh, so child and no parent and youth understanding CPYU, and um, and anyhow, but he's uh, he he actually just spoke at our our rooted conference in Dallas, and uh, he talks about cultural exegesis, teaching your kids to analyze the culture. So we're going to look at a few things, or we're going to talk about a few opportunities that. some of them current, some of them not so current, but ways to, to um to engage in cultural exegesis. Okay, so first, here's my first example. Sorry to go back to football. But um uh, if if you're a person who follows football in this state, um if you're an Auburn fan, this has been a delightful two weeks for you. Not just because Auburn beat Georgia, but because you've seen Alabama's entire linebacking core decimated. Uh which means Alabama's not gonna be able to stop Auburn's inside run, which means Auburn is going to beat Alabama in two weeks most likely. Um so but here's the thing. So Nick Saban, like, what is Nick Saban's thing all about? He is all about control, right? He says the scariest moment of his week, according to Stephen Nichols, is when he runs out of the tunnel over to the sideline because he knows he no longer has any control. Like, the hay is in the barn, he's in all the preparation he can do, and he no longer has any control. And so, you know, and part of that control is, like, recruiting a million five-stars and four-stars so that if anyone gets injured, there's a contingency plan, right? And hey, okay, great. So if someone gets injured, boom, we plug in another five star, we have control, right? Well, you know what? Like, when you lose like four of your top five linebackers, you don't have you know, you, you and, and so basically, like I've talked to some guys in Bible State this week about like the limits of our control. This was not like the lesson. But we were talking about the situation, I was like, this is guys, this just showed you. Like we think we have so much control in our lives. We think that if we can be on top of everything, that we can you know, that we can just we can uh, you know, control outcomes. I was like, you just don't. Like, if anyone can control it, it's Nick Saban, and he he can't control this. This is beyond his control. And, and you know, and 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 the football world is falling apart as a result. Or Alabama's football world is falling apart as a result of it. Um. So anyhow, so there's an example. Um. Second. All right. We're gonna uh start. I'm gonna start. Uh, some of you guys may be watching this. It'll be on TV about a million times. Not Daniel Tiger. Oh, here we go, Aunt Bethany. All right. So here's the end of um. Here's the end of Christmas Vacation, and let's just listen to what Clark has to say about Christmas, all right? Sorry, in the way. Christmas star. That's all that matters tonight. Not bonuses or gifts or turkeys or trees. See, kids, it means something different to everybody. Now I know what it means to me. Oh, sorry. Stop, Grizz. Um. All right. Okay. So. All right. So what is the underlying uh, the underlying statement here that that uh, Clark is making with the Christmas star? This is this is meant to be answered. What's he say? It can be whatever you want it to be. Yeah, yeah, Christmas. It can be whatever you want it to be. And you know, I know what it means to me now. Right? It's about about turkeys, you know. And so he's like pontificating, okay? Okay, so what is so thinking like at a theological or like cultural level, like what is you know, what is the implication there? Yes. Oh, if I got 5 minutes. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. So this is a conversation about, you know, kind of like religious pluralism. Right. This is a conversation about um, uh, about things being relative. You know, like meaning is based on what you think, you know, and if you think that Christmas um, is about the reindeer, good for you. And if you think Christmas is about Santa Claus, and good for you. And if you think it's about God coming into the world, then that's that's good for you. So this is an opportunity for a conversation about you know religious pluralism and so on and so forth. Because in this one I, I would I could I think my I think my almost five year old can handle this one. I'd be like, honey, what is Christmas about? She'd be like, Jesus come to the world to save my sins. That, that's probably what she would say. And if she doesn't say that, we could say like Christmas is about like this is what it's about. And like you can't just actually. You can't, ju- and this is not a five-year-old conversation now. But if a teenager, like, you like, you don't get to just kind of make up your own meaning. Like Christmas is what Christmas is. Like it's about Jesus coming into the world. Um, so, so that's an example of like, you know, some cultural exegesis. All right, so let's go to, um, ah, haha. <laughs> okay, next, Anchorman. Now a lot of you know that this is my one of my favorite scenes. All right, so this is going to be uh, an opportunity to talk about sex, all right? And by the way, in the world, like, our culture is so obsessed with sex. Like, you can have opportunities to talk about sex, like, two hours a day, uh, every day. All right, so let's think about the implications of this conversation with Ron and Veronica. God, you are so beautiful. We really should be going I swore that I would never get involved with a co-worker. Wait. What if just for tonight, we weren't co-workers, we were (laughs) co-people? You be a woman, I'll be a man, that's all. You continue to surprise me Mr. All right, all right, okay, got to play defense now no. Um, all right, so what, what are what are there are so many messages here about sex that are being communicated? Um, what are some of them? Keep in mind if you haven't seen this movie, Ron and Veronica have known each other for 24 hours. they work together. Um, all right so what, what are some of the messages being communicated here? lot of desire going on totally totally like you can engage like you can engage in sex and like there's no consequence you know like you can just turn it on and turn it off just for tonight you be a woman i'll be a man that will you know tomorrow will be co-workers tonight will be co-people right and so basically this is an opportunity to be like hey hey buddy does it really work that way like, do you think if they have sex tonight, that they're not gonna, it's not gonna be awkward when they see each other at the at the office tomorrow? Like, do you think that that she's gonna have some expectations about where this relationship is headed if they sleep together tonight? You know, like, and then you come back and say, like, you know what the Bible says about about sex? It says that when a man and a woman have sex, they become one. Like, if a man sleeps with a prostitute, he becomes one with her in the same way that like we become one with Christ. Uh, So that means like this, it it has the emotional and the psychological power, like lifelong implication. And so anyhow, so that's an example of like, if you just kind of sit there passively and your kid sees that, your child is seeing this over and over again, especially when they they watch like Grey's Anatomy and New Girl and all that on Netflix and on TV, that basically like sex is, you can just turn it on, turn it off, no emotional or psychological implication, no consequence, so on and so forth. And so, so, you know, you could just dodge this or turn it off. There might be a moment in here to turn it off, depending on how old your child is. But this is a really good opportunity to engage. All right, let me see if there's anyone, anything else. Um, I was going to do Daniel Tiger for the people with young, young children. Um, anybody know the song? Uh, you can take a turn, and then I'll get it back. Okay. Good, hey, not a bad song, right? Not a bad song. Um, but um, and it, and it will get stuck in your head. Just you wait. And it actually is pretty handy when there's an awkward conflict at a birthday party, and your child has stole another child's toy. Um, just like Daniel Tiger said, you can take a turn and then I'll get it back. Right. But another, a way to take it to the next level is, you know, as you're talking about that, like something I've said when this was on in my, in my house for like the 10,000th time was like, Hey, so why should we share? Cause God tells us to, yeah, that's true. But also like everything we have, God gave us. Okay. So it's not really ours. So when we're sharing something that's ours, we're actually really sharing something that God gave us as a gift anyhow. So that's an example like with a toddler. All right, sorry, last, let's see, any more worth doing? I know we need to wrap it up, right? It's like 52, 53 after, what you got? Yeah, 51. 51, okay, great. All right, I'll do one more here. Um, I know, Love Actually, I'm so ashamed to say I do love and hate that movie so much, it's true. Okay, so this one, um, I'm gonna show this one real fast. This is Lady Gaga, this is Born This Way, and I'm not looking to get into a political conversation here, uh, but in broad strokes, uh, we can look at kind of an implication of this song it doesn 't matter if you love him or capital h i m just put your paws up because you. Will be- Still the sky. Okay. Okay. So, with that being said, one thing we want to get and we want to keep in mind too is that there are also there are actually there are good, true, positive messages that come from the world that we should we should like embrace. But there also it's also it can get complicating, be mixed. So, like, what is something like really good and positive that she's affirming in the song? She's created by God. Yeah. You're, you're create like if you are created by God and you are made in God's image, you are sacred. Like you are valuable. You are beautiful. Right. So that is true, and that's something to affirm. But then as the song goes on, she basically says that, like, therefore, all everything that you feel, every, you know, propensity that you may have is therefore good, and you should follow it, be true to yourself. And so, like, you know, if you're, th- but that's not nuanced properly. Uh, because, you know, like, most people, if someone wrongs them, their propensity is to want to, like, hit them back. You know, that's your toddler's propensity. And your teenager propensity is to, you know, want to send them a nasty text message or whatever. Like, that's a, that's 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 a that's a sinful desire. So we basically we have to do. So, we want to affirm things that are good, and we also want to teach kids to kind of nuance, so that they can they can say like, yeah, some of my desires are sinful. Like, I was born sacred, but I was also born a sinner. You know, I'm, I'm both at the same time. I'm, I'm both at the same time. Like, I'm a Christian. I have the Spirit of God in me, but I still have flesh. And so. So, to to and then to come back and say like okay how do we know what desires are good and what desires are not good you know we test them against God's word you know like your desire as a teenager is probably to sleep with your girlfriend um, or to sleep with who, the the you know whoever you meet at the party or so on and so forth like Bible doesn't say that's a good idea um your your desire may be to you know spend blow all your money on something. That may not be a good idea. The Bible might, might say it's going to be wise in what you do with these things. So anyhow, so uh, that's that's all I have. I hope hope that was helpful. I'll pray for us and send you out the door, hopefully not uh, in terror over iPhones. <laughs> okay, God, thanks for, um, thanks for your goodness, and your loving kindness, and thank you for the uh, children that you've given us. And um, Father, you are the ultimate parent. Um, uh, we are just substitute parents who are trying our hardest, and so have mercy on us, Lord, and Give us confidence that you are uh, the ultimate, the true parent of our children, and um, and so, Lord, we point our kids to put their confidence into you as as a heavenly, uh, heavenly parent, and um and yeah, give us wisdom and all these things, and give us courage, grace, and power uh, for for hard decisions that we have to make, uh, and give us uh, courage too to enter into awkward conversations. So, trust you, Lord, I ask we pray in Christ's name. Amen.